0: I like founders pivot who I can see how fast they learn, how fast they iterate, how fast they can find market fit. So if I actually watch a founder pivot, it's one of the best data points I can get on the learning speed on, uh, learning speed on execution on customer empathy, which are three of the most important things I look for in a founder.
1: The first disclaimer, this is not your typical venture podcast. We assume the listener or the viewer can Google simple things like stage, industry focus, average check size, etc. Guests and interviewers do consume alcoholic drinks during the taping of our show. So we do so responsibly and we ask that everyone do so as well. So let's begin.
2: Hello and welcome to episode two of season three of Drinks with a VC. Thanks for tuning in via whatever platform you are using. My name is Vic LaQuara. I am the co-founder and general partner for Green Cow Venture Capital. And I am joined as always by the brilliant Bree Hansen, who heads up Berkeley's BizDev. Bree, hello. How are you?
1: Hi, Vic. How's your new home in St. Louis?
2: It's good. Thank you for asking. Uh, it is a balmy 48 degrees outside. And as much as I really miss the Bay area and I miss San Francisco, um, it's, it's nice to be here. It's a, it's a fun change of scenery. Um, of course I'll be back in San Francisco once a month. So, um, no one will miss me that much.
1: Did I reveal too much? Did I invite (laughs) a stalker?
2: No, no, I hope not. I mean, look, uh, if if anyone out there listening or watching the show loves us that much to be my stalker, you should just email me or call me, and I'll I'll just hang out with you, and I'd love to just kick it and say hi. Um, so if you if you love the show that much, if we have stalkers, Brie, we're doing something right.
1: I was actually referring to Laura more than you.
2: <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, okay, fair. Ask her. Well, you have to ask her. You'll have to ask her. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Well, look, just as we did in our previous episode, we want to take a very quick moment to acknowledge the atrocities that are happening in the Ukraine. Uh, And if you would like to help, please join us in donating to the 1K project. 100% of the donation goes directly to a family in need in the Ukraine. So um, we will have the link in the episode description and and check that out. Um, But, uh, you know, I am excited for today's show. Are you excited?
1: Yeah. Tell us more.
2: Uh, Well, you know, this next guest, um, I don't think she knows the first time that we met. I'm going to quiz her on this as soon as she comes in. Um, I think she thinks the first time we met uh, was at launch accelerator pre pandemic, but let me, tell, let me tell the audience uh, about her before we bring her on. And then and then we'll grill her to see if she remembers the first time she met me. How about that?
1: All right. Fair enough. <laughs> uh,
2: okay. So our guest led uh, the Corp Dev Strategy team at Dropbox. From there, she went on to make the first of many wildly successful angel investments uh, in companies like Scale AI and in upkeep prior to Dropbox. She was at McKinsey where she managed teams in NYC and in Shanghai. She advised Fortune 500 companies on big data, AI and growth strategy. So she was well ahead of the curb at that time. Um, and then earlier in her career, she designed and developed brain training games as a founder and studied human brain functions for her PhD. Uh, she received her PhD and her master's in statistics both from the University of Michigan. I had the pleasure, as I said, of catching up with her at the Launch Accelerator pre-pandemic while she was investing out of her first $136 million fund, which I believe at the time was the largest fund for a women-led venture firm. Uh, Now she's on her second fund. She's easily one of the most sought-after VCs when it comes to AI, machine learning, Uh, the future of work. She's made investments in companies like Rasa, uh, Path Robotics, uh, Ergin, uh, Datagrail, and Workstream. Um, It is my pleasure to welcome the pride of Shanxi, China, Dr. Lan Shui Zhao.
0: Thank you so much. That is a fantastic uh, intro and welcome. I appreciate that.
2: (laughs) Well, we are so delighted to have you on the show. Uh, If there's a little bit of extra excitement in my voice, it's because of your drink of choice today. Uh, I, Bree, will tell you this. I don't drink caffeine very much, and my wife was very worried about me recording this drinking coffee uh, because (gasps) I. (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and because I bounce off of walls, and I literally had my first sip uh, not more than five minutes ago, and uh, I'm already feeling a little bit jittery. So watch out, world.
0: I, I appreciate you drinking coffee uh, for for this episode specifically for me. I, I, you know, that's all I drink every day. <laughs> <laughs> How many cups so what... of
2: coffee do you drink every day?
0: <clears throat> I try to limit to one, uh, max two. But I have very, I have an exp- espresso machine in my house. <laughs> I used to drink a lot more. What's your coffee of choice typically? Uh, medium roast. Um, yeah, I tried very many different things. So I like, I like it a little bit light. Uh, latte with lots of milk. That's what you use espresso for. I used to drink, um, I have basically tried every coffee startup on the planet. That you can't imagine. The best one.
2: I wish I had a bag with me, but I'm drinking coffee. And this is a a quick plug to a friend of ours from Bird and Bear. Uh, Mm, They're basically mm -hmm. out of um, their garage in in San Francisco. Um, He procures the beans and he packages them and they send them out. Um, So we have a subscription to it. So Bird and Bear. Lon, we should definitely get you on that um, with Dan and Ella Streetman. So there you go. That's what I'm drinking today.
0: Oh, amazing! Thank and he you.
2: and he curates your experience, right? So you get the beans that you like and all of the oh, nice. all of the good stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to turn it back to to Lon. Where do you think we first met?
0: Well, you mentioned it's not lunch, so I don't know. <laughs>
2: Okay. Oh, This is how memorable I clearly was. Uh, no, no, no. I, I, <laughs> I, uh, I had just left <clears throat> SK Telecom Ventures, uh, which was my first start in venture capital. And I thought it would be a great idea to go in-house somewhere. So I was interviewing at Google and I was interviewing at Dropbox. And um, while I was interviewing at Dropbox, uh, and by the way, we've had two people from kind of the, this larger team and, and Lon led corporate strategy, if I'm right on that. And and Sarah uh, Adler, um, she she ran kind of like the other side of things. And uh, so anyway, I had the pleasure to meet Sarah first. And Sarah and I go back before that to her days at Medlo, but I had never met Lon before. And I was actually very uh, tense and like very... Uh, I don't know. I I don't want to say that I was salesy, but I definitely want to say that I rehearsed everything. And so I probably came across as like probably a little too rehearsed. But in any case, I was very impressed with everything that, you know, that conversation with Lon. And it wasn't a surprise to me that here here you are years later um, running your own shop and doing so well i mean being so successful so congratulations to you but that was actually our, our first time that oh we my
0: god uh i think i know i remember <clears throat> that was a long time ago
2: a really long time ago it must really be like
0: 2015.
2: i yeah i think 2015 or 2016. One of, one of those two it's in there it's all sort of a blur there i thought it was very cool because i had created this this presentation where you took the Dropbox logo and you <laughs> opened up the top. And it was about making you close the top and you make it look like a home. And so this concept was uh Corp Dev focused on on, on that tagline. So anyway, hilarious oh, very, times, good times. Small world. Very small I, world.
0: Yeah. Very, very small I, I, world. I remember joining Corp Dev in 2013, 2014 timeframe. Yeah. Uh, that that was my first time started uh meeting yeah. about seven, eight seven. people every single day. Before that I was like I was McKinsey I was doing a lot of the, you know, very much more focused work. Yeah. <laughs> Where like modeling analysis. That yeah. was the first time I was just remember so overwhelmed. How do you meet eight people a day to so get anything done? Well, that's yeah. you know the life of VC or crypto that person. That's right. So fascinating I you know, actually uh, hired a, a data science team after that, just so that we can be more efficient. <laughs> like <laughs> understanding who actually meant <laughs>
2: I love it. I love it. Well, origin stories are important to us. Uh, and I think as VCs and everyone that we've had on Brie, we we really love to dive into the origin stories. And uh, in our questionnaire, you filled out, you know, I went to a high school you'd never even heard of. And part of that is because you went to high school, I believe in China, uh, in Shenshi. Uh, and could you tell our readers our, our readers, do we have readers, or <laughs> listeners, and our viewers where Shanxi is and sort of give them the lay of the land?
0: It's funny. When you say Shanxi, I, I bet you most of the audience are thinking about Shanti, which is the, the movie. Uh, so I guess yeah. it sounds very, very yeah. similar. Yes. Clarify uh, yeah. they're, they're not. <laughs> I would love to be so cool to be, you know, like a, a super, superhero has anything to do with Shanti. But Shanxi is a, is a province in China. It's one of the mainland uh province, which means it's England. It's now one of the, one of the coastal cities uh in mm-hmm. Shanghai, who you most likely have heard of. It's like inland, uh very large uh coal mine city, uh, coal mine capital of China, basically. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that that's where um, you know I was I was born, I was from, I spent a lot of time. Yeah. What are your some of your memories there? Well, so I was born in a labor camp uh i don't really have memory there but uh it's uh you guys like the cultural revolution in china it's like long story but anyways it's you know my, my parents met in the labor camp was born in labor camp uh so my entire um childhood it's pretty difficult pretty poor when i you know start thinking about v- vc was not even in my vocabulary until drawbox actually i've never even you know i have no fr- all my friends are engineers who are, uh, basic engineers, you know, or people who uh who are engineering in some capacity. <clears throat> I don't know a single I v- I didn't know a single VC until Dropbox was a lot of VC at that time. <laughs> so wow. it was like a very, very different world. I, I came to US with like $50 in my pocket. And that was my child. Is it too many memories? I don't know how much you wanted to go into that.
2: No, um, I ab- we absolutely love to to hear these things. Uh, did you watch the Olympics at all? Uh yes. And, and the reason why I bring this up is because I think two of the one of the largest stories uh, was around sort of American Chinese born uh, Americans that were competing for China. Right. And um, I believe um, Eileen Gu was was the, the, the main, you know, the fixture, right? Like everyone's eyes were on her. Uh, and she won olympic gold and i think also a bronze um and i i wonder you know she references her mom being such a strong part of her upbringing um how, what what role did your parents play in your upbringing um and and now knowing that you you grew up in a labor camp this is even more of an interesting dynamic here
0: wow this podcast goes very deep
2: (laughs) (laughs) we're all over the place it's a roller coaster of emotions on
0: this. Uh, i think alien guru is fantastic and if anything it really you know like because she has your single parents i think it's more than like parents she had one single parent who like brought her up and raised her and i think it kind of removed the uh, stereotype of like You know, single mother and what you can do as the child of a single mother. I think that for that reason, that's fantastic. It's great. (laughs) Love that. Um, And like how powerful her mother, you know, is and was in her entire life, right? Uh, Well, my parents obviously very influential in my uh, in my upbringing. They, uh, you know, contrary to people's belief, they're not tiger parents. I actually had no expectation growing up, which actually helped me a lot. I grew up because I have, I'm, <laughs> I didn't know a single person. None of the first people in my family went to college, the first generation college, uh, university graduate. So uh, like growing up, there's no expectation. If I even just got ad- admitted to college, and that's a big deal. That actually is really helpful to me. My parents I have very high uh, standard, but very low expectations. So everything I do, I've always managed to exceed expectation. And over time, actually, my confidence goes up, like, you know, grows really, really fast versus a lot of times people, the older you get, the less confidence you have, you realize how much you don't know. I'm like very much
2: the opposite. Do you, um, do you put large expectations on yourself or or is it more meeting to be the first in your family to do X, Y, and Z? I,
0: I, I don't, I so I have very high standard for myself. I, you know, uh, but I never really have a go and say, I must go to this school. I must do this. I must, do. I've never had anything like that, which I think is actually really helpful for me I have like one North star I follow, which is, I just want to generate the most impact. It sounds, you know, very simple, but literally my entire life I've taken, uh, salary cats mul- multiple times. I've you know picked Dropbox over like you know after McKinsey over you know cushy corporate job or larger tech companies, right? Um, so it's really helpful because I was able to focus on the one thing that I care about the most
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, because my parents didn't give me the pressure. You have to go to Harvard. Go have to go to MIT. Have to go to have to do this or that. Um, so I really appreciate. At the same time they uh they are they were very supportive in whatever i choose to do Mm -hmm. Uh, so i I wanted to get a phd which is you know like ridiculous if you (laughs) know the general society's expectation for women uh i know there's a saying about uh uh you know women teachers like people are saying there are two types of people men and women and a female PhDs, so yeah. <laughs> a, a, a third kind of human, right? But, uh, you yeah, know, I just really liked doing research and studying things and understanding how things work. And yeah. my parents were very supportive. Uh, I don't think my mom, my mom even understand what I do today, but she's very supportive. She's I don't, I don't supportive. think she can explain what I do today.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And you, you mentioned your dad as kind of one of your biggest heroes. Was he, What role did he play in in convincing you or or maybe just supporting you to go to Michigan I I just don't even know how uh you know someone is born and raised in a labor camp all the way in inland China and then decides yeah I'm gonna go to the University of Michigan to study or
0: well only until about like five I think like the Chinese say is like, "What doesn't kill you makes you stronger." I just mm-hmm. have so many experience. My, my parents didn't have to tell me you have to work hard. I've just sure. had so many experiences where if I didn't, I would just not, <laughs> I would just not make it, yeah. uh, like literally and figuratively, right? So once yeah. you have experience like accumulating uh, throughout your life, your parents uh, are there the most supportive. Yeah. Oftentimes, they're the, they're very honest. How do I put this? Very demanding but very supportive. I think that's yeah they would never be like you know, uh, hey, you're doing such a good job but which you're not. They're very honest with me uh, and very demanding, have very high standard, but at the same time, very supportive. I never worry about if I fail at something, I'll get yeah. into trouble. no no, no. if you mm, mm-hmm. you do better next time. that's the expectation, so both my parents are like that my my dad specifically, uh, you know uh like particularly you know, race me like that. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a single child. When you're a single child, usually you have a lot of expectation from society. And I didn't have any of that. It's it's a philosophy. Uh, his philosophy, philosophy, my mom's philosophy really made me who I am today.
1: Interesting. Well, how would you describe each
0: one of them? Um, I think my dad is supporting, demanding, but is a visionary. He always has so many... Ideas uh, like really encouraged me to try different things, and he's very much of a contrarian. Uh, I learned that from him uh, from the youngest age. I think I'm I'm pretty much a contrarian today. I think a lot of it I just learned from my dad. <laughs> my mom would be a good like if you're a company. My, my dad would be a good CEO. My mom will be a very good CFO slash COO. She like makes happen, <laughs> make things work. Makes you know? things
2: run. Yeah.
0: Oh my gosh yeah when my me my dad and I were like doing random things, and she was just like, "Hey, you know, check the time <laughs> we're like <laughs> you have to do um but yeah, they are very complimentary and very supportive in, in different ways um,
2: so. it, it's funny because and uh, again, not to generalize Asians right but but coming from my own Southeast Asian background right and my my parents, my dad uh you know both of them are both forces of nature they work ex- exceptionally hard if i can work you know a, a modicum of how much they've worked in their lifetime i'll be very successful right but um my mom was always the person that kept things going she's always on time and always making sure the books are right the finances etc even divorced um she's still they're amicably divorced but she still looks out for my dad's, uh, you know, uh, accounts and finances and make sure that they're aligned. So, um, it's interesting how we, we, we have that similarity. But I think a lot of uh, my Asian friends, they're they're they have a very similar family dynamic to them. Um,
0: my mom was so an accountant. Was the accountant? So. Oh, really? Okay. okay. Yeah.
2: So, so you get to Michigan um, and you study psychology. Yeah. What what drew you to psychology uh, out of everything?
0: Yeah, this is one of the most uh, contrarian uh, pick at the time. Mm. Uh, you know, so I I took all the rigorous math training, whatever you can imagine in China. Like I came here, to look at the citizen masters. Uh, career, like I've taken this, in, you know, high school already, and I just you know start thinking. Uh, what do I need the most, actually? What do I want to learn the most? What I'm most passionate about? Forget about the job prospects. Like what's practical? What's practical is go get a computer science degree or math degree and find a job and work at whatever company after, right? But that's not, that was how I I was thinking. So Mm -hmm. what's the thing that I need to, I'm the most passionate about uh, and what do I need the most? So, happen to online what I'm most passionate about is actually understand human brain that's been my long time passion my entire life I just want to understand human brain understand people Uh, I think I'm good at that I think I am super passionate about that that all like you know like I just really want to do that and secondly what do I know the most what do I need the most is actually being able to communicate with people and talk to people Uh, I can do math like no problem but I really suck at like talking to people at the time. I didn't speak much English until I was like 23, 22. Wow. So and in a, a psychology teaching program, I had lots of opportunity to talk to people because you sure. talk about it uh, in class, you know? For the first year I was in the program, actually I was pretty silent. If you ask people uh, about me around that time, I don't know how people even remember me because I didn't talk, I couldn't talk. <laughs> Just not really good at talking. So I think the two goals really, really align, uh, which I was just, I was so excited to go to Michigan. I was like ranked number two PhD uh, in the country and they like fully funded program. They pay everything uh, for me to study. It was like, oh my gosh, this is like dream come true. And I appreciate Michigan. Uh, it's a life-changing experience for me, honestly, uh, both professionally and also personally. I, you know, my English is much better after that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you are now a mother of two kids. Um, we'd love to learn a little bit more about about them. Um, you know, I mean, you've talked a little bit about your mother and and how she influenced you. Um, what? Who are some other mentors and and friends, uh, people around you that shaped who you are as a mother? um and 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 that that part of your life
0: um great question i haven't really thought about it too much i think i have, i have a philosophy i think everyone ex- expects me to be a tiger mother i don't know why like, people <laughs> ask me a lot i actually got that question all the time from <laughs> are you a tiger mother sometimes they don't ask me directly they ask other people is she a tiger mother um and i i, I after you know the third time I was like you know, we do do seed staging investing. We do coming the first time. Tiger's mother, <laughs> probably better. <laughs> tiger, you know, like do later stage. We do early stage, uh, and I aspire to be a tiger mother. Really, not doing a great job there. Um, <laughs> my, my, philo- not living up to the expectation. Um, my philosophy is the same. You know how I was raised. Yeah. Um, you know, demanding. Well demanding but supportive be the best at doing that they can become an artist. they can become uh, whatever they want to but they just need to give a hundred percent of effort towards that actually i don't even need them to be the best they just need to like give it the best effort yeah. to 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 work on what they like the most
2: yeah oh that's really so this is a funny observation that i've now just made hearing you talk uh I kind of gravitate to Hassan Minaj, uh, Aziz Ansari as two brown comics that talk about their very stereotypical upbringing, right? And it's interesting because you gravitate yeah. towards Ali Wong and she Love Ali Wong. <laughs> she talks about having a very stereotypical, kind of like tiger mom ish upbringing. Uh, what is it about? you like we both had relatively chill parents who didn't set the expectations for us that, you know, I don't, I joke sometimes with people like, Oh, I'm a venture capitalist. I'm a disappointment to my, my, my dad, you know, which I think there's a little bit of disappointment that I'm not a systems architect or a computer science nerd kind of person. Uh, But I feel like I really gravitate. I almost wish that I had people that that had parents that were I wish wish they were more tiger mom and tiger dad <laughs> than they are. Is there something to that?
0: It's so interesting. I really like Aliwan, Trevor Noah because when I listen to her uh, uh, comedy and read the book, uh, Born in Crime, yeah, I feel like, especially when I read Born in Crime, I feel like, you know, that's not my life. but like elements of that. I just feel like I could have written a similar book, you know, like yeah. you, gotta have when you your upbringing is so tough yeah. you just gotta have a sense of humor i think that's how i grew up and that's how my parents grew up like i was born in labor camp it's much harder for them to survive there yeah. so the their sense of humor is like fantastic they you know they're like yes this is tough but what what are going to do about it i would just you know make we make fun of it and carry on
1: Yeah. so
0: um, i very much appreciate that and which is why i like i think she has this um also mentality of like joking about things and uh you mm. know uh Trevor joking about things uh so uh and as a mechanism of dealing with hardship in life
2: yeah yeah well a very fun fact about emily goo and uh ali wong they both went to the same high school that I went to. Oh, right, right. They did. They were in San Francisco, uh, University High School. So a shout out to both of them and to the University High School. I think we're still the Red Devils. I don't know. Uh, but uh, there was something interesting that they they both have in common. Um, oh,
0: So thing, I think Ali made it. I haven't really heard humor about motherhood, like just birthing experience. Actually, <laughs> oh, also is so real. Yeah. That's like, I think uh, that's just like, oh my gosh, like, I can't believe someone's talking about this so loud. Like, that's some, not something people enjoy talking about, like, but it's so hilarious. Yeah. Like, okay. This is real. Like, in elements, different elements of their humor, I just like, okay, this is very relatable for me. Yeah. But a lot of the comics, I can't, I cannot find anything to relate to. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. No, I, it, there's that commonality there. Absolutely. I, speaking of commonality, I think a lot of people look at you as this super human because you're extremely successful. You're raising two kids. You're kind of juggling all of these things and seem to be doing, you're not dropping any balls whatsoever, right? You're just keeping them all up and you just keep adding things to it. Uh, And I I thought you shared, I was reading about you. You said, it's not about work-life balance, but it's work-life integration. And uh, I would just love to know how you do it. Uh, so I can try and emulate it. Um, but w- t- tell us a little bit more about the philosophy of work life integration and how you go about things,
0: yeah, I, I think I dropped plenty of balls. I think depending on which one I drop, I try to not drop the most important ones. Yeah. <laughs> not less important. Uh, I definitely drop plenty of. I think there are, I think I have a good system of support uh, around me that uh, I you know, I truly, truly appreciate. I think my husband's like, you know, we try to be as equal as possible, which is like you say that, uh everyone wants to do that, but it's actually, you know, uh, uh, fairly equal. Yeah. like like for example, he will drop off the kids in the morning, I will pick them up, like I'll make dinner, like he'll make dinner sometimes, he actually bathe the kids. Um, also like I think for the funds, uh, I was talking about the boss I dropped. like initially, I was doing the back office, front office, fundraising investments, everything by myself. Over time, there are roles I heard uh, that, you know, like Ingrid is in charge of back office uh, completely and finance. That was so helpful. Uh, I just don't even have to think about it, right? Same thing, like Rachel runs our tech team. Uh, I don't have to worry about that. I think over time, finding uh, leverage from people who are actually, frankly, just better than me in doing uh, doing uh, doing those roles, it's the best way um, there's still, I think that's, you know, people all, always ask like, how do you balance work and life? And at this point, it just, there's no balance. It's just fully integrated. I will uh, check my email before uh, on my way to pick up the kids. I'll re- reply to them super fast. And I still like uh, pick up the kids and come back. I'll, I'll, I'll make food. And as I type some of the emails, I talk to founder as I, uh, you know, like uh, do some other stuff. Um, I think I, especially as a founder of a firm, you just need to, you just, I just, I can't even shut down my thoughts. I just think about things all the time. At some point, she's like, I have to truly love doing this. Otherwise, I'm literally spending all my life, all my time trying to figure things out. I think that's kind of the <laughs> stage. <laughs> you know, and, you know, like, there's no, uh, I guess there's no better way to uh, go, uh, put it. It's just fully integrated already.
2: Where's your favorite place that you've traveled?
0: Uh, probably this island between Indonesia and Philippines called the Spaten Islands. Hmm. It's uh, it's the best scuba diving I've, I've, I've ever had. It's so nice and really warm. Yeah. You know, when you scuba dive, you have to usually wear a wetsuit. Yeah you don't have to. You're just jumping. There's schools of barracuda fish, like jackfish. It's like all over it. It's 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 amazing. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, beautiful. They, they only limit a certain number of people you can go uh, on a daily basis, so they mm-hmm. like so that it's not too crowded. The yeah. uh, so nature was basically uh, uh, like you know the most original I've seen. I, I love that experience
2: assuming travel isn't uh you know restricted because of the pandemic and for whatever other reasons uh when is the earliest you're going to start trying to introduce travel to your kids' life and and seeing different perspectives
0: yeah my kids have already traveled a lot they've been to most of continent already um oh well so yeah, they've been to Asia multiple times, Europe multiple times, and uh, Latin America multiple times. So, uh, I mean, we we like exposing, I mean, we like travel ourselves. We like having different perspectives and just learning things constantly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like we just bring our kids, when we, it's a little bit selfish initially, but later like we found that really beneficial for the kids to have different perspectives and being learn different things. Yeah. Um, my older one, he's six now, He's been to like a dozen states, over a dozen states already. And he's been Italy and China and like Mexico, all these different places. Um, (laughs) Wow. Yeah. What's the most dangerous situation you've been in traveling? Well, Spartan Island I mentioned, I think I was not supposed to go there because it was like actual, uh, you know, like I think the Philippines at the time, especially on the border between Philippines and Indonesia, have like active uh terrorism going on yeah Mm. i went by myself uh it was just like literally the best trip one of the best trip i've had Uh, because no one was there there's no tourists there's uh you know like just nothing uh it was fantastic but it was not it was not the safest same thing i went to egypt um in 2008 i think by myself i like it pretty ignorant at the time uh, but when I landed there, uh, was that I went into this whole situation being robbed and went to police station. Like, you know, uh, I didn't feel like my life was in danger, um, but it was like, you know, very interesting experience, <laughs> especially so different from my uh, uh, other experience.
1: Wow. How did you feel being robbed in a foreign country?
0: Actually, suppressing ha- happens more often than, than, uh, than I imagined. So I kind of, you know, like the first time was a big shock and it happened multiple times. It's like, eh, you know. <laughs> <We> just <laughs> learned like, to carry so a second Yeah, yeah like yeah. have some humor. Now, yeah. like you don't even need to go to a foreign country to stay in San Francisco. The chance of getting robbed is actually like <laughs> Are
2: pretty high, are pretty high. Um, so True. my
0: to- jacket got stolen yesterday.
2: Uh, oh, no. no, it's upsetting. You know, I'm listening to Lon. <laughs> you talk about this and I swear if Laura, my wife, was telling people about how many times she's been mugged. I would be like, "We're calling the national guard." I, you know, you need to be more safe and like put yourself in these situations, etc. You must have a husband that's a little bit uh, more chill than I am. <laughs> but, <laughs> but how did you meet your husband? Uh, I mean, I was again, your your parents met at a labor camp, so I'm interested in the. Kind of, okay, what was your meet-cute? Who is he? Oh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. Uh, well, he's pretty chill. He's, he's a very interesting person, um, you know, very understandable. I work all the time. So I appreciate he's very supportive and I yeah. you know, put myself in all sorts of dangerous situations. He actually also likes doing that. Uh, we actually, there's one time we are in Xinjiang, uh, uh, you know, in, in China, and uh, we got robbed th-
2: together. <laughs> oh, oh, well, so what you're gonna get take. robbed, get robbed together.
0: So <laughs> uh, I, again, I don't, I don't think I was supposed to go there at the time. Everyone's like, "Dangerous, dangerous, dangerous." It, I mean, it's fine. And people yeah. always exaggerate things, so you, you know, you don't know until you check it out. Really, yeah. it was like a uh, thing. I didn't lose anything. Uh, <laughs> we almost went to a fight. It didn't, so it's all fine.
2: So it's all fine. Um,
0: okay. But we met in Michigan, so it's not... Yeah, we met in Michigan. Okay. Uh, at school. He up, and, yeah. At school. He, uh, he actually grew up in, in Michigan. So Oh, cool. Do you, do you do a lot of research before you go to a
1: place so you kind of know what to expect when you go there? Or are you kind of
0: intuitive? He does a lot of research. I don't. Uh, I like the surprise a lot of times. Is when I, I do a lot of research when I work uh, you know, on the companies, we do so much research. So when I am actually on vacation, I like the element of surprise. Um, but he does, he actually does all our trip planning and traveling booking out of that. He likes to be going to different places every day. Uh, I'm just like, I, you know, like I want to embrace the local, uh, culture. What's the element, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I want to walk around a city. Uh, oftentimes, I go to a place I hop on the bus. I went to Dubai one time, just hop on the bus, and just like literally the bus took me around the city. I was like really interesting. I had 24 oh. hours in Dubai, and I did that. I was like, you know, a uh, very interesting way to explore. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we have a very different style, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know where it works.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you are an introvert by your own admission, yeah. apparently. Mm-hmm. I don't. So, and,
1: and Brie, by
2: the way, is very well-versed in sort of like the Briggs-Meyer personality, yeah, chess, the... et cetera. I don't know what I am. She keeps telling me and I just repeat it. Uh, but,
0: yeah. But... Do you know your Myers-Briggs on? I think I'm uh, ENTJ. Yeah. But I don't think it's very accurate because every time I take is different answer, I think oh. I'm, I am I. should be ENTJ, but I wasn't McKinsey. Or you have to be a teacher to survive. I was trained. I was a very borderline ENI, but I'm pretty introverted. My natural tendency is introversion. I don't enjoy necessarily going out to a party and talking to a lot of people. I enjoy one-on-one deep uh, conversation. I don't enjoy. I don't enjoy like going out or being the spotlight or you know um, having a lot of attention.
2: Last couple of years, and I want to dive into this on a couple of fronts, but you know, during the pandemic, it looks like even though you're introverted, you've taken to social media, Din or Twitter, and really kind of established um, your voice on both of those platforms um, and put out a lot of great content. So just for everyone listening and on video, um, do you want to let them know what your handle is so that they can follow you on Twitter?
0: Sure, Twitter is uh X-U-E-Z-H-A-O. It's not the easiest, easiest handle. I wish I could type it up. X-U-E-Z-H-A-O.
2: Okay, perfect. Cool. But, yeah. And we'll have that in there. Um, Bri, do you want to read that that interesting tweet that we had?
1: So here's the tweet. Are Asians overrepresenting? Did you know 60% of the world's population and 4.7 billion people are Asians? Hundreds of ethnic groups varying income levels, languages, etc. We aren't all the same. Also, what is an Asian chicken salad? A salad named after 4.7 billion people? Big questions. Uh,
2: and and I think you're bringing up a very solid point. We wanted to add to the sarcasm and to uh, and and give you this next uh, box. So if you could open up the the box <laughs> labeled F.
0: Oh, that's hilarious! We're like fortune cookies. My kids actually, my kids will love this. Well, that's
2: <laughs> I, I think you should open one up. Is that right, Brie?
1: Yeah, you have to open one up and read. We now you have to read your fortune since you wouldn't read ours. Yeah. Okay. yeah. This is awesome.
2: And Thank and you. by the way, right, like this obviously plays into the stereotypes that a lot of Americans have around fortune cookies. Um, just to just to drop a little knowledge, people, the fortune cookie actually originated in Kyoto, Japan. Um, and after that, there's a little bit of confusion slash, um, animosity between San Francisco and LA about which restaurant actually served the fortune cookie first. Um, but this is not a, a Chinese thing. And so I just want to dispel this notion that we are all the same. Uh, I, I think we should act and we should have a feeling of togetherness, but we're, we're definitely very different peoples and, and. So anyway, I think. Totally. Lot, but Okay. All yeah. right. Good. I have never, never
0: heard of fortune cooking in China. You my might...
2: In your life, right?
0: It's not. A, it's not a Chinese thing
2: Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm um, with you.
0: This is a great fortune. There Another are many fortune. unicorns in your future.
2: Oh, okay. <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> um, I, just FYI, can we? I want to plug Berkeley because I don't know if we do it enough on this podcast, but their heart is like. The opposite of the Grinches, right? Whatever the whatever the Grinch was was like two sizes too small or whatever it is. Like Berkland's are like five times bigger than most people's hearts. And they always do a great job of being very thoughtful with uh helping the people that they help, but also making the venture community feel like they're loved and appreciated too. So um I'm just gonna shout out Birkland. Thanks, Bree.
1: Aw, thanks, Vic.
2: Yeah. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, Okay, I'm going to switch gears a little bit from sort of the satire to a little bit more of the serious. Um, You are an immigrant female. You didn't speak the language uh, until you... You didn't even start speaking the language until you got to Michigan. Um, You, for all intents and purposes, had all of the odds stacked against you, Um, but, but you made it. You're now on fund two. Uh, I think. What's the total assets under management? I don't know. You're going to correct me because I don't remember. Um,
0: a little over three hundred.
2: A little over three hundred. I mean, what was the hardest part of your journey uh, to where you are right now?
0: Uh, it's really true. I mean, I, ha- I haven't. I didn't really think about.
2: Um,
0: I never really thought about how hard things were. Yeah. And it was really interesting because is pretty hard. And I was like thinking about just how to get out of a situation or how to put one foot in front of another. Um, yeah. It's actually easier to not think about how hard things are because hmm. in the grand scheme of things, and they become not very hard and have a good, uh, you know, uh, attitude to just be, lighthearted and deal with it. Yeah. That's very much my philosophy. Everything was hard. <laughs> um, you know, having, being pregnant, raising the first fund, take, took five days maternity leave after, uh, take five days off after my maternity leave, you know, like still doing like eight deals that year, hiring a team, managing a lot of people. Um, yeah, I mean, every day there's something, like even on the normal day, some founder will have some challenges. They'll reach out to you and they'll ask for help. So yeah. like, there's a lot of ups and downs. I think, you know, just got to have a have some humor in life and move on.
1: <laughs> okay. I, I have a, a funny question. So you've taken on just some amazing things. Like you've come to a new country. You've taken on like really difficult majors and really – interesting and difficult jobs and raise your own fund if you were to take on something like producing or directing a movie how would you go about doing that
0: oh hmm. actually interesting i was just thinking about this uh i had a <laughs> it's really I, I had a dinner with uh do you know do you know this um show called pachinko
2: yes i this was uh on my my to do's to watch
0: Yeah. I had a dinner with the producers and, uh, some other people, uh, you know, in, in tech and Hollywood, I was thinking about the role of producer versus DC and a director an actor, uh, screenwriter, you know, Mm. all these different roles. everything has to come together. It's like making a movie. You have to have all these different roles. Everyone has a job to do my role. I think of myself as a producer of this fund, uh, or is this institution that I'm building, I need to figure out the big picture, I need to find money. Uh, I need to pick uh, the right people, players in the right roles. So when this show goes on, everything is in a good place, but everyone has their own strength and weakness. People will be much better at doing certain things than me. Obviously an actor will be much better in acting than me in their roles, so they should be in that role. Um, so that's how I think about kind of like setting things up and uh planning for for the fund and for 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 the fundraise uh, investments portfolio company support diligence um yeah, it was like funny I was just actually thinking about that so I believe
2: that <laughs> I believe what you're saying right now, but part of me is thinking that you would not be um you would just not be content being the supreme kind of project manager and producer. I feel like there's too much of a operator soul in you that would want to like come out at that point. Um, And you know how I know that I just don't believe it. It's because you said in the questionnaire, so so what do you do in your free time? You're like, well, when I'm not, when I'm not working, I'm thinking about new things to work on. (laughs) And and so that's how I kind of know. It's like, I don't think there's any stop in you. Right, yeah, was taking on something new.
0: Yeah, you. I, I think the, actually, producer's job is pretty hard because yeah. <clears throat> every something's going to go wrong. You have to figure it out. I, yeah. That's pretty much like I have to spend a lot of time because everything is my responsibility when you run a firm. Something mm-hmm. goes wrong. I, you know, I can tell a number of times I actually. On clock, uh, the toilet one had office uh, in in you know in Soma. Yeah, Everything's my responsibility. I'm like. <laughs> the last one to leave the office right. uh, turn, turn over the lights and make sure the doors are locked. He yeah. stole my life. People break in. Um, yeah. so like there's a lot of mental, um, uh, burden and even like when I find a good person to be in a good role, like finance, uh, uh, you know, back office, I feel so good. Cause I finally can you know, have the mental capacity and time to think about, uh, some other work stream and making mm-hmm. some other things better.
1: Yeah.
0: That's and that's how I think about it. And that's that's actually relaxing for me when I actually have to, you know, can hand off like one aspect and really think yeah. about the other aspect. Okay. That that feels great. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and so, I mean, there, there have been a bevy of announcements, right? There's certainly the new fund, uh, $165 million fund too. Um, and then the persistence mentorship program, you've had multiple financings that we can talk about a little bit. Um, but th- this kind of brings us to sort of um, the, bi- the biggest announcement in my mind that kind of was apart from other things was the CXO program. And I'd love to kind of learn from you just sort of to the listeners and people who are watching this episode. Um, what do you want them to know about the CXO program? Um, who's it for? Uh, I know what the end goal is, and we'll get to that. But but if you could just cover those two things,
0: yeah, the CXO program is for active operators who are mm-hmm. currently in operator role and uh, are are the best at doing what they do. <clears throat> so what I realized over time is, uh, you know, we work with early stages that are super super early. Uh oftentimes the challenges are very very uh, you know uh, detailed and request an expert to come in and help them. For example, how to set up OKR, how to uh, balance growth with burn, how to do that in a way that's, uh, you know, uh, 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 you know, helps with alignment across the whole company. So a lot of these things, current operators are actually the best at doing that. They've done this over and over again, uh, you know. Uh, so over time, I've... Um, starting talking to operators and our team has, you know, uh, onboarded people, mainly our friends at the start to help our companies uh, solve these very specific uh, challenges and kind of problems. Over time, some uh, advisors, uh, operators have such a good chemistry with the company and over time, you know, they take on more roles. Sometimes they join them, sometimes they're sitting on board, sometimes uh, they invest So over time, uh, I just started thinking, why don't we formalize this? Uh, You know, like we'll start with different time commitment. Because the the thing that's the most tricky about operators is they're busy. So we'll start from, we'll build a system where operators can uh, be in our system. If they want requests uh, for, for intros from our founders, they will be in the system. They will get occasional requests maybe once or twice a month. So it's not very time consuming. They have total control over time. Uh, if they want to get engaged even more, we'll open up our deal flow for them. They can get onto cap table together uh, with us, uh, you know, like have direct relationship with the founders. And that's what we want, right? Because we can help each other. Um, And finally, if they really want to kind of try out venture, wants to be more involved, we have the final stage, which is uh, what we call CXO, where they're compensated by cash and carry of the fund, so they're basically comped, uh, they basically comped very, uh, you know, aggressively and they will be able to take on official board seats, uh, on behalf of, on behalf of us. So they will actually sit on preferred board, uh, and help the company that way. The founders love it because, you know, they love nothing more than the operator helping them hands on. Also like, you know, uh, I think they just generally like operators on boards, <laughs> sure. um, sure. operators like them because, uh, you know, they get this gradual way of getting involved and some people want to come into venture, some want to have the opportunity to learn coming in and out. So that's a good way to uh, just try it out and see if it works.
2: Yeah. Over time, By the way, and, and this is getting a little bit into the weeds, but is the carry based on the whole fund or is it based on the individual the company? Very cool. Fund.
0: I think that aligns uh, incentive the most because we yeah. want them to help with our companies uh, versus like specific, they, they will pick the company they want to help the most. Sure. Over time, when other companies have questions or challenges, I would love for them to be able to help them. Yeah. And like, frankly, from uh, from the GP, the manager side, we don't make money until LP gets their money first, right? That's just how things work. So the deal, the deal by deal carry, uh, ultimately, you, you got it being incentivized to reach funds first before people can 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 split the-
2: I, I love that i love that and it's a similar philosophy to what we have in our fund with uh, on a much smaller scale looking at our, our venture advisory network is it's very similar um you've actually said uh that look more operators on the cap table is one of the best ways to achieve equality um i'm interested and i 100 agree i think brie totally agrees on that as well. Um, I guess when you look back on your career at the end of the day um, and say, Hey, was this successful? Um, have you thought about what those benchmarks are, what what would make this successful, and what is having enough operators on a cap table?
0: i so I feel like there are a group of operators who are very good at relationship and meeting investors. They are group operators, or not? They're just too hands down. They don't even think about these things. Uh, they're so hands down that spend all their time operating for the entire life, then they don't understand how this even works. Yep. So my goal is not only to get the people who are already connected, they're already doing Android investments, they're already uh, you know on the cap table. I want to get people who are actually you know haven't really think about, haven't really thought about this. We didn't have the opportunity. They're so good at doing what they do. You add so much value to the companies and give them opportunity uh, to try this out to to have the direct vision with the founders. I think you know. I don't know how big this program will get, um, but the more people we can get on Capital like that, I was one of them. Right, um, the the better I feel about this program specifically. <laughs>
2: uh speaking of equality that's a major theme about what you're passionate uh and so um look we we missed you you being on the show during international women's month um but we're making up for it now you're your guest number 2 in the season um you are part of sort of this movement about the future is female um and basis set set up a a program called persistence and it's based on female membership, uh, mentorship, excuse me. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and, and sort of what that program represents to you and also, um, just what inspired that from you?
0: Yeah. When I started basis set, this is, this was 2017, uh, because we're very technically, uh, Focused funds. Most of our founders are infrastructure. A lot of it dev tools, uh, automation, AI in factories or you know farms. Um, so it's very kind of different niche market. It's just not a community around this uh, group of people, especially women. I remember coming to a VC and just completely surprised by how few people, <laughs> like just no one, frankly not a single person I can find at the time uh, who's like me. Uh, so I remember talking to Nina, who's one of our, who's our CTO. Um, and she's so experienced and a lot of venture firms really want to work with her and hire her. I, I feel very fortunate that she chose that to work with. I remember talking to her about just such a lack of community for this type of group of women. So we started, um, the first dinner we started was with specific women CTOs in very, very technical companies. We have Claire, who's at the time uh, CTO of uh, Udemy, uh, mm-hmm. and uh Ninye, who uh, was former CTO of uh, M- uh, minted and BPO engineer at antic. And of many really uh we had like I think Laura of Shippo attended our first dinner. She she's working on logistics uh, supply chain, right? So that's how we got started. There, you know, uh, just small group people, f- maybe 15, 20 uh, you know, uh, every month we'll host different people, but like people work on very, very kind of tech women work on very technical, uh, <clears throat> things. And over time, obviously expanded to uh, non-technical, non-technical women leaders, including uh, go-to-market like sales, marketing, uh, operations. So that's how we got started and how we kind of evolved over time. People say it's lonely at the top. It's extremely lonely when you're at the top of specific vertical, specific industry and very technical infrastructure uh based companies. Um and a lot of them are not very are not the like they don't they're very introverted like me, right? They don't go out and you know hang with people naturally. Right. Uh, so yeah, that's that's how you know we started persistence. Uh more like minded people got together. We now have regular events, um regular get together, we just had a dinner uh, with another group of uh, women in San Francisco. Um, we like help each other with uh, not only work challenges, but a lot of personal challenges. What is it like to be the only uh, C-level executive, women executive in a, in a company? How do you uh, hire more diverse talents in your company, right? So yeah, um, yeah that, that's community. And you know, for any women in tech who are interested, uh, check out the website, persistent.org. Um, we, we help each other also talk about funding companies, raising money. Um, one of the founder is Rhonda who runs Dev color. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, uh, you know, she has been super helpful in, uh, you know, in shaping our mandate, uh, with, uh, specific, specific black engineers. And, uh, yeah. so yeah, we're spending a lot of time, uh, kind of, you're looking at a specific, uh, group, uh, focus on women tech leaders, you know, look us up. Uh, so
2: uh, again the the website is persistence.org is that right that's
0: right yeah um,
2: I, I have a question based on that and and this is sort of selfish we have we have a couple of portfolio companies that i you know they're anywhere from four employees to seven ten they're they're just before they're they're at 10 uh employees uh, and they haven't hired their first woman yet. And first of all, I give them endless shit about that. And I'm, I'm, I'm always trying to be an advocate for, at the very least, bringing more women into the pool of applicants, however you can, right? Um, one thing that they've told me is hard for them is um, hiring the first woman um, because it's going to be, uh, you said, you said lonely at the top, but I kind of uh, associate it with it's hard being that first woman hire. What is one practice? How do, how do we get companies to make that hire um, in your estimation?
0: I think your first hire will need to be relatively senior person. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very hard to be the first junior woman when everyone else is more senior than you. Um it's just much harder to start and much harder to continue uh so as early as possible, find someone who's experienced who have like you know big impact and followership ideally of other more diverse talents, either be an investor or a board member or a senior woman leader or co founder you know the more <clears throat> Um, you can involve a diverse talent at the beginning, at a at senior level, the better chance you'll build a more diverse organization. Yep. That's I great think advice. Fantastic.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah. All diversity, not just women, not just people of color. If you want to have people from different backgrounds, you got to integrate them super early on as really part of organization versus uh, otherwise it's just very, 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 very hard to, Actually build it up
2: um let's kind of switch gears again um to the subject of pivots um you actually were open and and um pretty uh, vocal about um you know appreciating the pivot uh and you you wrote a tweet Uh, It says, I enthusiastically welcome founders who have the resilience, tenacity, velocity, and self-awareness to go through Pivot Hell to ping me. Apparently, we've got a lot of self-identified Pivot Hell founders, though I'd call them war partners. Um, And I, I think the P word, as it were, in venture is almost sometimes a red flag to a lot of VCs that are out there, certainly was in the past um maybe that's changing a little bit although i don't know i don't know if it is um why why do you like pivots and by the way congratulations to to peter and the rest of Rudder ai they raised 27 million series a from a16z uh and others and you were an early backer in, in them um but you know what's your why that take
0: yeah, first of all, thank you for reading my Twitter. I think I'm like as a VC, my uh, Twitter uh, is probably like a, a best a, a C plus.
2: <laughs> no, that's that's garbage. It's actually, it's actually very really good. good. Uh,
0: thank yeah. you. Um, I don't spend nearly enough time on it. Like I'm, I hope to get better, I'm trying to be more active. Um, so I, I don't care about pivots. I just like I don't care about failure. You, everyone has failure. People fail all the time. You make mistakes. I think it's more important to learn from it and uh and do better next time
2: yes
0: with founder who pivot i like founders pivot who i can see how fast they learn how fast they iterate how fast they can find per market fit so if i actually watch a founder pivot it's one of the best data point i can get on the learning speed on uh, learning speed on execution on customer empathy which are three of the most important things I look for in a founder. So um, I actually didn't realize people, uh, Peter pivot 20 times. From my point of view, like five, right. but like he actually did more on his own that without even knowing. Uh, it's just like every time we talk, he's figured something out, like brutally honest about the mistakes make, which I think is really important because you can't improve until you're honest with yourself.
2: Sure. Right? And oftentimes you can't improve until you failed
0: exactly yeah. So I think that's especially for founders who are in a hard market uh or in a market that's not known i think it's essential to just start doing things and try things and really figure out where the market fit is versus yeah. where it
2: yeah so this brings me to another question we asked matt mccall in our first episode brie about the same thing um why combinator demo day was this this past week um, and it's like VC Christmas, right? Uh, only this time there were 414 <clears throat> companies in the cohort. Uh, first question, did you cover it or did you have someone on your team cover it?
0: Uh, my, my team does. We usually, <clears throat> so I have a tech team that's actually an investment team. Actually, yeah. we, uh, already looked at all the ways at all of them way yeah. before. Them day. Sure. And we split up, uh, across team. Everyone talked to some of them. Uh, we funded, I think we'll find a two out of this batch
2: got it got it that's yeah so this is fantastic I, I really want your perspective then because you know i i remember um you know this is a a year before you were interviewing me at dropbox and i was in venture the first time around um i remember yc was a cohort of 20 companies and um demo day was a little bit more intimate clearly uh and they were receiving less capital up front uh, from YC. Now everyone gets 500K and um, the cohorts are massive. Uh, And presumably there isn't a lot of pivoting that happens. Now, again, uh, by the way, I love YC. I love what they're doing. I ask this because I think I'm wondering about the state of seed investing and, and accelerators and Do you believe that giving more money up front to seed stage entrepreneurs for their first idea kind of hinders them from all of the pivoting and all of the introspection that comes from not having the best idea, having to fail, and then go back to the drawing board, and then go back to the drawing board, and then finally get that that 500K? Or do you believe that like Matt McCall did from, from Pritzker and does at Pritzker. He just said, look, you know, at the end of the day, they get 500 K and they fail with this idea and the investors are out the money, the investors are out the money, but you still have learned something as an entrepreneur and you go back and, you know, you continue to do your thing. Uh, what's your take on that?
0: <clears throat> I think it's great for YC. <laughs> I think it's great for certain founders, not the others. Yeah. Uh, if you can use, I, I, first of all, if a founder are lean and can pivot without a lot of burn, mm-hmm. it's a wrong way for you to for an opportunity to try. I'm not afraid of founder taking on more money because they actually, you have longer wrong way to try different things. If you're a founder who actually naturally fast learning, you're going to figure out something because so I would rather these founder take more money, uh, than less mm-hmm. that said. If you're a founder who just burns a lot of cash, you already hired a lot of people before you have part market fit and more money's bad.
2: Yeah. And
0: you you're spending it. Uh, you don't find part market fit and the company dies sooner. I think it mm-hmm. really depends on the founder. As a as an industry, a VC has changed a lot, just even in the short like four years I've been a VC. Uh, I think the number of companies in YC is a reflection of just the seed seed market. The number of company has exploded completely. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really, really hard to pick, picking becomes very, very difficult. So I think YC's approach works works for them fantastically well. For us, as more of the conviction-driven founder with very much concentrated portfolio, which has got to be better pickers. Sure. Otherwise, it's much harder to be early stage VC. Yeah.
2: Uh, I don't know if you could do this, but can you give up which companies uh, were your favorite from Dispatch or or the the two that you invested in?
0: Yeah, I don't want to say public. I, okay. I don't know if the founders have plans to announce it.
2: Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. It,
0: uh, I think both are developer tool like infrastructure.
2: Okay. Okay. Excellent. I, what country are they from?
0: Uh, I think both, <laughs> both, both are U.S. Are, are they
2: both U.S.? And, and I mean, I guess my point is, is that there are a lot of international companies this year, yeah. probably more than, than most other batches, not just because of the virtue of how big the batch is, but yeah. even by percentage. I,
0: I really like these inter- international founders. I think we'll actually go back and look at them more just because mm-hmm. the uh we would do some uh investments in southeast asia uh mm-hmm. it's uh it 's a very different market, and we need a little bit more time to kind of get comfortable with companies uh, uh with the diligence so I think we're probably even going to go back and look at previous batches and uh, track these founders for international uh They require a little like diligence in American founders is very easy uh you know we can reference founders super quickly international founders a little bit harder to do um so uh, but I, I yeah I think the uh quality of internet, internet, international founders uh is very impressive.
1: Um I kind of wanted to go back to some things you said earlier on um founders who learn fast and then that are introspective and and kind of have some self-reflection and awareness. Um what are some tools or recommendations or advice you have for founders to kind of go through that process and learn?
0: Great question. First of all, be honest with what works, what doesn't work and with yourself. Um, it reminds me, I was, I, I watched the dropout on Hulu uh, of Elizabeth Holmes. Yeah. Just, oh my gosh, the length she, she you she to hide that the technology doesn't work. It's just easier to be honest and say it doesn't work and pivot five times really
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: sleep better <laughs> um, yeah i mean yeah, first of all just be honest and understand what works what doesn't work brutally honest with yourself get feedback from the team and the customers uh and, and 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 do better and and grow from there um there are lots of resources out there there's radical candor by kim scott there are different books and kind of management uh you know, training materials to, to help founders go through that. And, you know, many of our founders have like coach they talk to regularly. Uh, so I encourage people to, you know, founders to really like, first up, just understand where you are today. It's like such a basic concept, but surprisingly hard. A lot of founders understand, like don't have data on, on their customer. Don't, don't know where things are, um, you know, with their co-founder, uh, with their team, what's actually working, what's not working, what's people's p- perception about your products, what's the team's per- perception about your leadership, are you spending money in the right way? Um, you know, like all of the questions, I think kind of like a good uh, feedback mechanism will will solve, and from there, figure out where you want to go, and get there fast by iterating and learning with the market as fast as you can. Assuming your cash flow is limited, so I think in a very short uh, high level that's what I would recommend. We have uh, a founder uh, the founder of Ergy who does great training on self awareness on leadership on managing teams uh, maybe at some point we'll open up some of some of the materials she uh, she trains her her team It' really, really great
1: fantastic um I want to move on to your interest in the human brain and AI. Um, and, you know, let's just start with where are we in AI comparative to our human brain?
0: Yeah, yeah it's a fascinating question. I spent so much time doing my PhD. And like after, <clears throat> when I was doing my PhD, I was uh, actually my first project when an undergrad student, I taught computer how to acquire language as children. That alone, like just, we're talking about a couple words. It's so difficult. Um, Wow. You know, that's the earliest form of AI. And then, uh, you know, doing my PhD, obviously I was studying frontal lobe functions, which is the, you know, like uh, front part of your brain, Uh, your function, like attention control, uh, you know, uh, cognitive flexibility, uh, et cetera, which uh, if, if you're not good at these things, Uh, many people develop ADD or different kind of mental, uh, mental illness. But then it was really interesting. I went to McKinsey and I started working with these clients who couldn't figure out what their data is. Like really, like you can't, you have such disjointed systems. They don't connect to each other. You don't even know, like revenue calculation coming like three different ways, right? So the gap between where, you know, I want things to be and where uh, ideally technology should be and where things are today, it's huge. Um, So that's where we're today. I think we're a long way from having AGI, having the most advanced technology, actually solving a lot of problems. But in the past uh, five years, uh, technology has getting much better. There's computer vision, uh, machine learning, has gotten way better and approaching human accuracy, you know, if not better for certain use cases, certain discipline. I think for the first time, uh, you know, when I started base, uh, Basis Set, I can see investing actual machine learning together with some of the more basic workflow automation, like, you know, uh, in, in organizations, right? Both are very interesting investment areas. Um, so you got to invest in both because both need to make progress uh, to, to, get, to get better. Uh, but i you know the whole space is just so fascinating and very exciting for me
2: i think we're both interested and correct me if i'm wrong but i think we're both interested in practical applications of ai in various industries and verticals right uh, where do you see um, the the most low hanging fruit uh, yeah. immediately right now with the, with the level of ai that we're at currently
0: uh A lot of the obvious use cases have been tried by, uh, you know, by uh, founders. Mm -hmm. I think uh, for knowledge workers, like for people like us sitting in front of a computer, uh, wherever you have a lot of data, like, you know, Google, Microsoft, larger companies, smaller companies, Notion, Dropbox, um, you can apply some kind of like learning on top of the data. So a lot of have a team doing that. Uh, the more underserved area, actually, more regulated industry, industries, insurance, uh, you know, factories, farms. They're actually really interesting use cases. For example, in factories, we have this company called Path Robotics. It's a you know uh, welding robot uses computer vision to find where uh, where where you know welding needs to happen and just does it automatically. So I think these use cases are more underserved, uh, and actually much needed to happen. Uh, we're spending a lot of time looking into uh, these areas, uh, insurance as an, in another example, there are mountains of data that, uh, you know, uh, you can train on and do things with, yeah. uh, so a lower, which is why a lot of companies, uh, you know, kind of don't want to go there, yeah. but from technology point of view, yeah. uh, a lot of technology is ready to serve. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I would probably just add, uh, healthcare generally like drug discovery and all of the the mountains of data that we have that we can apply AI and machine learning to, and then try to model and, and, and manufacture drugs, uh, whether it's vaccines, whatever it might be is, is the other area. Um, depending on who you talk to, like this is even pre-pandemic. People were worried about AI and the power of AI. What if it got too advanced, et cetera? Um, something that's a little bit closer to home is whether AI becomes too biased. Uh, do you ever worry about bias in AI? Um, and I, I want to get it from you because you are one of the smartest people I know in this in this space. And then on top of that, you're a woman, um, and so you're around bias and and are more hip to it than The average engineer. So, what's your take?
0: It's totally biased. A lot of like because human writes these systems and, you know, like humans are biased. So, a lot of the systems are biased. I mean, it's a problem. It's going to be uh, more of a problem and we need to be proactive in dealing with this. Honestly, most of the algorithms are biased. We just have to be very mindful in setting up uh, guardrails and be mindful of how. To use different things and how to like you know set up set up things and train your models. Make sure you know when you train uh, models have unbiased data as much as much as possible. Yes, so I think people have more aware, awareness now um, mm-hmm. compared to before. So I think more people are working on this. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely a problem.
2: <laughs> it, it would be great if all of the seed stage investors got together and said you know, this is the standard um, sort of processes that you should go about when making sure that you are creating AI systems, et cetera, right? That without bias or, you know, with greater understanding of what that bias is before you start building things. And then everyone that's building something and has to get funding will have to adhere to these programs and and go through it. We should do that.
0: Yeah, I I know. There are many things I really want to happen. Like, you know, first of all, I want Twitter to be licensed by us. Yes.
2: Yes, absolutely.
0: Uh, stop amplifying the stuff that actually you know they're just trying to get I I have Stop retweeting those things. Yeah. That, that would be nice. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. Well, if you have listened or watched the show, uh, now is that time uh towards the end of the episode where uh Bri and I like to ask. Our five questions. And um, they were taken initially uh, from a book. What what is the name of the book, Brie? I'm totally. It's
1: Sex, Drugs, and Cocoa Puffs, written by Chuck Klosterman, who was a journalist, um, started, I think, in the late 90s. Um, He's a culture writer and Mm -hmm. he writes about a lot of culture. And so he came up with a lot of different questions. And so has these 20 questions where he says if he asks you these questions um he'll know who you are so i know you like to get deep with people on so that was his whole thing and it's funny because if you reverse engineer the questions you can kind of see what he's trying to get out with each one anyway we've created our own yes we've adapted
2: from those questions yeah we've adapted Some of them are the same from our previous and and future guests, and some of them are are really customized towards Lon uh, and what your mindset is. So uh, here we go. Should we, Bree, do you want to start?
1: I think you should start this time.
2: Okay, let me start. Uh, All right. It is the year 2050, Lon. are, Are we, are you living in the metaverse or are you living in a colony on Mars? (laughs)
0: <laughs> at the two only choices these are the mm-hmm. only two choices only
2: on we'll, Mars only on Mars. on Mars okay okay
1: all right one of your children has been kidnapped yeah. who do you want on the case Sherlock Holmes or Batman
0: Sherlock. and why <laughs> yeah and why <laughs> yeah I mean Sherlock Holmes will figure it figure it out much faster than Batman <laughs> <laughs> Really be very good at figuring things out. I always make a lot of mistakes. <laughs> mm,
2: that's true. That's true.
0: Also, but, I'm a huge fan of detective. Like, I think I've just you know watched all of them. Like, huge fan of Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> okay,
2: who's your favorite Sherlock Holmes? This isn't part of the five questions. Just a follow-on.
0: Ben, ben,
2: Benedict. <laughs> yeah, Poor Benedict. Yeah. He's he's fantastic. I, I mean. <sighs> By the way, I liked Enola Holmes. If you didn't watch that already on Netflix, Enola Holmes is fantastic as well. Um, Here's my question, though. I almost would want Batman instead of Sherlock because Batman has the means to get that child back. Whereas Sherlock Holmes in this day and age might not have all the tools and tricks to really execute on that part of it.
0: That's true. Also, my kids really like Batman, so they will be very excited. So they'd be,
2: they'd be, <laughs> otherwise, they'd be like, hmm, who's this creepy guy with the pipe? Uh, who, <laughs> come with him. Yeah. I don't know if I feel safer with the kidnappers or the guy with the pipe.
0: I feel like kidnappers the chances of finding kidnappers is so low. Yeah. You got to like be able to figure out where they
1: are
2: first. Yeah. Okay. Fair. fair. Well, and Sherlock fair, right. would
1: be on all that opium, too. You know, you got an opium addict. Going after your kids? I don't know yeah. about that. I'm just kidding. Yeah, all
2: know. right, next question. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> all right. Would you rather skydive Mount Everest or scuba dive in the Galapagos? Uh,
0: the second one seems completely feasible. I could do that. The first one seems a, a lot harder. So probably the mm. first
2: one. Okay. Oh. And, and just for our listeners, viewers, uh, have you used skydive before? Yes. And where did you skydive? And was it as exhilarating and frightening as I think it would be?
0: It's uh, definitely not frightening at all. I did it in New Zealand. Uh, I think I did it in China. Uh, it, was, it was like, if you think about it, it's a very calculated risk. The risk is very low. You skydive with multiple, you have a backup. You know, someone, <laughs> you, uh, you know, they know what they're doing. The person would have skydived many thousands of times before, and there are, you know, two separate systems, it's very unlikely that you die. I did, um, I did skydiving, bungee jumping, I did cliff jumping, and I did, um, how would you call those like, anyway. Air gliding?
2: Oh no.
1: Like
0: ziplining? Or pair gliding. So, I I feel like- You've never done
2: the squirrel suit thing, have you?
0: No, that's, that's that requires you to do it by yourself. I wouldn't trust myself myself to do that. Okay. Uh, so I feel like skydiving is the safest, okay. Climbing, much harder, uh, bungee jumping. I know for sure some people have died and cliff jumping is horrendous. I think that's, I, I did it in Thailand and you know, it's like, when you do a cliff jump, you have to do it by yourself. Yes, that's Not pretty.
2: <laughs> so how, how high <laughs> was the cliff that you were jumping off of?
0: It was pretty high. You have to climb. It depends on how, you, how there's like basically rocks and you rock climb. Yeah and then and then you drop, jump you mm. as you want to yeah and then if you jump at slightly different angle yeah like it hurts a lot
2: it hurts like heck <laughs> um so very quick story i was in grill, jamaica uh, on spring break senior year of college and um i had to imbibe a little bit in order to force myself to jump off this 40-foot cliff and i landed fine um, and I was, I was fine. I was perfectly okay. My friend jumps off and Steve had already, uh, sorry, Steve Klein. I'm, I'm really uh, <laughs> mentioning him on this. I doubt he's listening, but, uh, Steve had already gotten a pretty massive sunburn. So oh. he's you know very pale and then he's got this red burn on his back and he lands and he does a belly flop. So he spent, uh, the rest of Jamaica with a red back and a red belly and chest. Oh. <laughs> uh, and, uh, hot. So anyway, yes. Real hot. Uh, yeah. Real hot.
0: That's that um, pretty painful. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Right. okay, question
2: four.
1: Next question. <laughs> Can you differentiate between the artist and the artwork? The difference
0: between the artist and the artwork.
2: Yeah, here's a couple of examples. Yeah. Um, you love a... Uh, let's see, impressionist artist, but that impressionist artist has been a known child molester. Can you appreciate his art while at the same time, you know, not caring for the person?
0: Wow. That is a very deep question. (laughs) What's the right answer here? I feel like I have an answer. There's
2: no right answer. There's no
0: right or wrong answer. We're not going to, we're going to
2: judge you, but we're we're not going to be able to judge you as a, we're just going to,
0: I feel exactly. like I can. I think that sometimes, if you have some deep, troubling mental issues, you're probably the best artist. Hmm. I like that
2: take. I really like that yeah. take. Okay. Very- All right. Are- our fifth and final question, and then you get the payoff. Here we go. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Three startups in your sweet spot that are solving the same problem come to you looking for funding. The first has all the characteristics of a successful team that you're looking for. The second has differentiated technology. And the third has really fantastic early traction.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Which of these three companies do you invest in?
0: It's a third. For, how, how, how good is the team for the third one?
2: It's <laughs> orders of magnitude. Let's put it this way it's they're clearly capable, but it's not, um, you know, they don't maybe offer the same diverse perspective. Um, maybe they don't have as good of a handle on the unique problem that they're solving. So you're really basing this based on the fact that they're at a three on team, but a five on traction. The other company is a five on team and a three on traction.
0: The first one for sure.
2: Okay. Okay. Early team is everything.
0: That oh team the early track tracking doesn't mean much. Yeah. Uh, cases it can change overnight. So yeah. at the end of the day, I would love to see early traction, but yeah. more important to see a team can consistently execute on yeah. these early traction and the and and product and yeah. build so which is
2: why I- can i ask a follow-up question yep uh when you have a team that is just fantastic like they knock it out of the park and even their product is fantastic um they clearly have uh an understanding of the problem that they're trying to solve and that and they understand the value that they're creating there um but they struggle um to to get scale like they they they're not good at the growth strategy aspect of things, what's the first recommendation that you make often in those situations?
0: If they're not very good at go to market, Mm -hmm. it's often a problem with customer. What? Like, first of all, can a founder learn to get better? I Mm -hmm. think if they can, then talk to people who are better at doing that, either founders or advisors. Yeah. I think the only solution is for founders to get better at it. is so critical. You don't have company. Is
2: it, is it developing a blueprint based on comps? Is it, you know, listening to the mentors and reading the books? What's the kind of first course of action?
0: I think it's developing the mental muscle to experiment and figure out the right growth strategy. Mm. It's, I mean, it's usually not one thing that works. It's usually keep on finding the thing that works for your startup. No yeah. one knows what that is. So yeah. the approach um, of finding that and the intuition and mental muscle to finding that it's on the founders. So they yeah. just gotta have to figure it out.
2: Yeah. Uh, man, I really have enjoyed talking to um exceeded my expectations. And my expectations were, as I said, always very high. <laughs> so this is fantastic. Um, Me too. Be- I
1: could talk to Juan for hours.
2: For hours. I've got, uh, and- I've
1: got a lot of questions. I- I've got so many more questions for you. <laughs> we,
2: have to, I, I, we, we don't say this a lot and we don't say this to everyone, but I, we, I really would love for you to be back on the show at some point in time. Um, because you were such a sport and were so transparent with your answers to these questions, we're going to go ahead and open up the, the last box or, or on oh. the VC unboxing as it were.
0: By the way, thank you. I, I, I like, I like how you are thinking about running this show. Very, very interesting questions. Oh, I'm glad you like them. Yeah. So much work. I can
2: see. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Brie and I we really love doing this and We do. You know, and hats off again to the Brooklyn team. So behind the scenes obviously Josh Meehan, uh, Reynolds Morgan, um and the the rest of the Brooklyn team work really hard. Um and I'm just got to get to be along for the ride so this is very fun. Uh, what do we have there?
0: Oh, this is a a fest now I really uh, will look like a VC. Thank you. Now you
2: really look like that, a VC. Yeah,
0: we needed the costume.
1: It's yeah. it's official. Yeah.
2: Excellent. Well, watch out about walking around San Francisco in that. Apparently there are flyers <laughs> that are going up saying, hey, tech bros, stop wearing Patagonias. But yeah. um, you're always welcome uh, wherever we are. Um, we're so thankful for you to be on. As we typically do on the show, we ask our, our guest to, to toast us out. So this is your minute to really showcase or or shine um, a light on whatever subject or person uh, that you would like. Um, what are we toasting to?
0: Thank you. Um, actually, I want to toast my team. because We talk about founders all the time. I think my team's working so hard. Really appreciate them. Uh, working day and night and so fast and furious and giving it all to build the best firm and really appreciate them. And uh, have uh, Lisa, who's on maternity leave Uh, taking a couple of months off. So have a a great maternity leave and congratulations on the newborn.
2: Yes. Congratulations, Lisa. And thank you, Lon. Cheers.
1: Cheers. They're morning beverages.
2: They're morning (laughs) beverages in the afternoon. (laughs)